right. Well, good morning. We're glad you are here with us this morning. I was providing a little voiceover work for our video today, uh, but we are excited to have you here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and we just would love to get to know you and want to connect with you and want to answer any questions you may have. And one of the things I wanted to just take a moment to do is just to say thank you for praying for me and my family. We are on the men. Uh, I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife, Amy, and my mother-in-law who live with us, uh, she, they both actually had COVID. Uh, they are on the healing path. They've, they've since recovered from COVID. Thankfully, Ray and I, my son, never got COVID. So we're just thankful for that and thankful for just your care and, and your prayers in the midst of this season. I know it's just been a challenging season for so many of us, but just really thankful for this community. And one of the things I'm specifically thankful for is the incredible communication uh, that we have available to us through the variety of teachers. And what a great teaching team that we do have. And so in preparation for not knowing what would happen with COVID for me, uh, we already lined up in the teaching team to speak uh, so that I would be um, not hindering us moving forward here at the at the church. So thankfully, we have great communicators that have already spoken. I think about Travis, think about Beth Ann, and then today we're actually going to get to hear from Ed Hanna, who is the area director of Lehigh Valley Crew. And Lehigh Valley Crew, their whole mission is to win, build, and send, and to really help the next generation to encounter all that Jesus has for them, not only in their time in, in the collegiate years, but also afterwards as they go into their careers and adulthood as well. And so they're on several different campuses here in the Valley, but they do a great job. And Ed's also one of our elders here and just an incredible friend. So thankful for the ways in which he encourages me and walks alongside us here as a community. So let's give it up for Ed Hanna as he comes to give God's word this morning. Woo! Negative. There it is. There it is. A little delay. It's all right. Thanks, Joe, for the intro. It's fun to be here with you guys in person. Um, as Joe said, I am uh, um, an elder here, which I'm humbled by. I'm also uh, area director for Lehigh Valley Crew, which Joe did a good job of sharing a little bit about crew. But basically, we, we believe tomorrow's leaders are on today's college campus. And as a result, we are heavily invested in trying to bring the gospel to the college campus and help these men and women fix their eyes on Jesus and have the gospel capture their hearts so that when they graduate and they are tomorrow's politicians, they're tomorrow's doctors, they're tomorrow's lawyers, they're tomorrow's community members, they are tomorrow's leaders, um, we want them to have an impact for the gospel. So we're passionate about reaching the campus today. Um, That's what I do. I get fired up about it. I love it. but I'm excited to be here as well. Um, last week, Beth Ann shared from Hebrews 3, and she did a wonderful job challenging us just to take a look at the state of our hearts together. And, um, you know, the question was, is how do we guard and protect our hearts? And I, I believe she not only did a beautiful job of bringing us into the Word, but she did a beautiful job of bringing us before the Spirit of God. And allowing him to just start to seep in and figure out, okay, what are those ways that sometimes I find myself misplacing worship, I think is how she put it. 
So we're going to touch a little bit on that again because you're going to see as you go through Hebrews, it's almost like an interlocking kind of joints. Like I have to go back to the end of chapter 3 to get into chapter 4. And Mike next week is going to hit the end of chapter 4 to hit chapter 5. So, um, but I believe last week, going into that again, it plays a big factor into our ability to really, really experience what chapter 4 calls us to. So, before I go any further, let me pray and um, get into it together. So, Father, we just, we thank you that we have the time, the space, the ability to gather together and worship you. Bless your holy name. And God, we just, we pray, Lord, as we dive into this series on Hebrews, Lord, we pray and we invite you by faith to dig in, to to find those cracks and crevices, those things that we might have hardened our hearts to, we didn't even know, and to soften them by your grace. So Lord, I pray through your spirit, Lord, you would just, you would have your way with this time. Lord, if there is anything that I might say that might distract take away from what you want to be said, Lord, I pray it would just fall on deaf ears. And God, but we just pray you'd speak to us this morning. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with your Bible on it, power it up, open it up, Hebrews 4. I will have it on the screen as well. Um, and let me read this for you guys. We're going to go Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13. We're going to stop. We're going to leave the back end for Mike next week. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 4, 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So anytime I am, whether I'm speaking on a passage or just studying a passage or even just trying to have a quiet time, I'm thinking, okay, what, what am I looking at? What, what, is, what is the author trying to communicate here? What is the author's intent behind this passage? And oftentimes I'm looking at, okay, um, 
Is there repetition in words? Is he comparing and contrasting? What is he trying to communicate? Because I think that is something that God might want to be want to communicate to me this morning. So as I looked at the first 10 verses, you see, rest is just over and over again. 10 times he directly references rest in the first 11 verses. So obviously, that's a central theme to what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And we're going to look at three questions together this morning. We're going to look at what is this rest? What is this rest he's talking about? What keeps us from this rest? And how do we experience this rest? What is this rest? What keeps us from this rest? How do we experience this rest? Now let me first talk about what kind of rest we're talking about or that he is talking about in this passage because many of you are probably just like me and when I think of rest, I'm thinking, this is time to relax. It's time to just completely clock out, veg out, find comfort in TV, friends, a book, a TV show, family, or maybe it's just simply sleep. You know, like parents of young kids, you just, we just need sleep sometimes. But although that kind of rest is nice, and we do need it, it isn't, it isn't what our hearts, our minds, and dare I say our souls need the most. That's not the kind of rest we need most. We need a different kind of rest. Because think about this. I'm sure you guys experience this, but there's times when I am resting, and I'm in bed, and my mind and my heart is still stirring. It's going a zillion different directions on one thing or the other, and it may look like rest from the outside, but it sure ain't restful, you know? Like, there's still that inner striving in our heads. So my point, my my point simply is, is that The rest we often think about, that we think we need most, we need a different kind of rest. It's different than that kind of rest. So remember our Bible study question, what's the author trying to communicate through this passage? Well, let's take another step. Who is his audience? It's the Hebrews. It's the book to the Hebrews. So he is writing to Jewish people. And he's going to communicate ways in which the Jewish audience can grab a hold of themselves. And let's, start, let's talk about the basics, the basics of how the Jewish audience would experience the word rest, or Sabbath rest, I think he says in verse 9. The Jews observed a Sabbath rest day once a week, just this purposeful day of rest. And they saw it. They saw it as a sign and a covenant to God. Basically, um, respecting or two, two main events from their past. One is God's creation, that God created the world in six days and then he rested, that they rest. And the other was God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, that he brought them out of forced labor and brought them a place to where they could rest. So the Sabbath rest was commemorating two of their past events. And God promised, well, and actually speaking of the deliverance, you remember at the end of, of, of chapter 3, that is what we talked about. That's what Bethan talked about when we were talking about the hardening of hearts. What does the author do? 
he goes back and he talks about the people who hardened their hearts and they wandered for 40 years. The post-Exodus event. They wandered for 40 years because of their disobedience. Now, here's the thing. God promised, God promised the nation of Israel the land of Canaan where they would go, they'd settle, they'd find a home, they'd find rest, but all that was required of them was to trust him. They needed to trust him and his promises, but what did they do? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't trust him. They didn't obey him. In fact, they longed to go back to Egypt. They longed to go back to slavery. It got so bad. So that generation didn't get to experience God's rest, is what we're talking at the end of chapter 3. They wandered. So you see what the author is doing. He is building bridges from the known to the unknown. He's building bridges of understanding the old covenant law to now this new covenant we're talking about in Hebrews. It's beautiful. So the end of chapter 3, we have it up there, it's to, um, and then starts chapter 4. It connects the Jewish audience, but it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter the rest. Enter, they, bleh. We, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And then he continues in the start of our chapter this week. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it still stands, let us fear any of, any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So the author is warning the audience, don't, don't make the same mistake your ancestors did. And he says the promise still stands. It still stands at first. And that is the first clue as we piece together what this rest is, we're going to zoom out. If you could flip to the next slide, we're going to zoom out, and we're just going to look at the, a few of the verses as to what speaks of this rest. And the first one is, is it's a promise. It's a promise for the Jews and for us that still stands. It wasn't just for the Israelites post-Exodus. It's for us. Verse 3, it says, for, for, we, for we who have believed enter that rest. So, there must be belief to enter the rest. Verse 8 speaks of a future rest, too. It's not just a, a past rest. It's not just a present rest, but it's also a future rest, too. Verse 9, it, it, it says it's for God's people. It's for the people of God. And then verse 11, I love how he uses that language, but he says we've got to strive to enter into it which we'll, we'll tease out a little bit. But there's a, there's a working to enter into that rest. And it seems to me, and many scholars smarter than me, that the author of Hebrews is speaking, to not ju- he's not just speaking of a land, he's not just speaking of a place to call home or a place to kick back, but he's speaking of a spiritual rest. It, it, it's, he's speaking of a soul kind of rest. God's rest is in the spiritual realm. It's not just kicking back on Netflix or getting eight hours of sleep. It's a, it's a rest of salvation. It's the rest that, that you can look forward and you can say, man, my, in the midst of all the uncertainty, my heart, my mind, my soul, every, it's safe. It's safe because I can rest in him. And, and the beauty of that kind of future rest, it, 
it really does affect the present, doesn't it? When we really grab a hold of it, it affects the present. It affects how we handle election season. It affects how we handle when our kids are off the rails. It, it, it affects how we interact with our neighbors who are difficult. It affects it all. It affects us as we, as we engage in the present struggles and brokenness in the world. How? Okay, let me just begin by answering the, the, how it presently affects us. We have nothing left to prove anymore because we have God's approval. We don't need to strive or spiritually labor anymore to gain his approval or to win over his affection. His approval is in us through Christ. So all of a sudden, that just frees us up. It's like, okay, I'm approved of. I don't need to like put on a great song and a dance and talk here to win your approval anymore because I've, I've got my approval in Jesus. All right, I might struggle and fail, or I might do well. I don't know, but, I've got, but my approval is in Jesus now, and that grounds me. That, that ain't easy either, by the way. It's not like, a, I'm not saying I've arrived. <laughs> that is a constant every day walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I, I believe that is the kind of rest we really need. That's the kind of rest that will help us sleep at night, that we are delighted in by Christ. And it's the kind of rest that we can look around, and even the things that are not right or perfect, and we can still sing, it is, it's well with my soul. Like, I'm struggling, but it is well with my soul. That does not mean we don't care about things, or we don't work hard or dig it, but like, it just means, man, it's my identity, my approval is no longer hinged to these kind of things. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a game changer. So that is the kind of rest the author is speaking about. Why don't you go to the next slide? We're going to answer the second question. What keeps us from this rest? Okay, my instinct. You ready? I'm sure you guys. What keeps us from rest? The circumstances. I got a bad hand. Crap, I'm just doing the best I can. Our families. My job. No. No, what keeps us from this rest is ourselves. Again, let's zoom out. Let's look at the passage. We've got to look back at chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3. There's a ver- few verses that just speak so directly as to why the Israelites didn't experience his rest and what keeps us. What keeps us from it? Check out verse, I'm just throwing in there what you can go back and look at it, but verse 12, an unbelieving heart. Verse 13, hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. Verse 16, rebellious. Verse 17, sin. I mean, like, the author's going at it. Sometimes it's helpful to talk about the past so it affects the present. He's not, I mean, like, he's not going right, but he's, he's talking about the present generation too. 17, sin. 18, disobedient. 319, unbelief. 46, disobedient. Somewhere in there it says harden of hearts as well. I mean, you see it. it it's not our circumstances. And you might look at this list and say, man, that, that isn't me. Sometimes it's easier to look at this list and be like, man, these are the people who directly, like, rejected God, you know? These are the people who just don't give a rip. No, he is, he's speaking to the people of God in the past. He's, talk, he's talking about Moses and the people who wandered for 40 years. 
people of God, this is what this is what Beth Ann was diving into with us last week. The people of God, you can still harden your hearts. We can still walk in disobedience. And that's the thing Beth Ann was trying to uncover last night. There's a quote by um, St. Augustine that I think speaks directly to this. It says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You see, each of us has a tendency to lead towards restlessness. We all do. When it's not found in him. I've heard it called the, it's almost like the work beneath the work in each one of us. You know, it's that, it's that inner striving. It's that, it's that voice that, whether it's Satan or our flesh or the world, I don't know, but it's that voice of like, Joe, you're not good enough. Chris, you're not doing a good job. No. It's, it's, it's that voice that you need to prove yourself now. That you need to establish your greatness, your worth. You need people to notice you. Whatever that might be. You need to be a better person than this other person. Whatever that might be, there's this inner striving that can go inside of us. And and, and the crazy thing is, is even when you've labored for, and then you get the very thing that you've strived for, what happens? You go to the next thing. You, You go on to the next thing. Our hearts are restless, friends. Our hearts are restless. That's the work beneath the work that prevents us from entering that rest. Man, I see this with Lehigh students. Man, they like, they put, not all of them, but like they'll put everything they have into their career path at 18 years old. I'm like, man, I was a punk at 18. I did not know what I wanted to do until I was 26. But like they need to have it all together. And there is this inner striving. It's not just about doing classwork. It's about being the best. And it's about being better than everyone. And there's this, like, they were the best in high school, but guess what? Now they're not the best anymore. So there's this inner striving. And then they graduate, and it's like, oh, I'm at the bottom of the rung, and you've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to work. And it's tiring. And I remember even just when I first started leading in ministry, there is a, I mean, it's ugly. But, like, there's a temptation to, to hinge my identity with my ministry success or failure. Things aren't going well. Students aren't going well. I stink. Crap. I'm terrible. But things are going well, and all of a sudden, oh, Ed's great. Ed's a great leader. Everyone notice me. Not like, praise God that I've been able to work through that. But, I mean, you can, we can so easily do this with parenting, with our kids, kids' behavior. I mean, it's easy. It creeps. Yeah, attach your identity to something else. And all of a sudden, the work you're doing is like a work beneath the work because you're trying to, like, earn your approval or earn something. Does that make sense? It is tiring. So question for you guys is what, what, if anything, that you can find yourself laboring in the most? Is there something that we are prone? I think they're, honestly, I think everyone has it. Everyone has something we're prone to. That's not saying we're always living in it, but I think it's a constant battle for me to not hinge my identity in my kids' behavior or how well they're doing or my ministry, too. What is it for you guys? And, and again, I'm not saying don't work hard, get your hands dirty. 
I'm just talking about an inordinate hyper-responsibility on yourself to earn, to prove, to accomplish something. It's less about the work and more about that inner labor inside of us. And you know, what's interesting, the Old Testament law, man, the Jews were constantly laboring themselves. Constantly. To make themselves acceptable to God. Whether it was ceremonial laws or temple laws or civil laws, it was a a lengthy list of labor that they couldn't keep. They couldn't keep. So God, in his kindness, he provides these sin offerings and sacrifices that they can come and experience his presence and find forgiveness and restore this relationship. But here's the thing, and in Hebrews talks about this later on, but only temporarily because you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep coming back with the sacrifices. Which leads me to my third point. How do we experience this kind of rest? Those sacrifices were offered, as the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10 it talks about, as an anticipation for the ultimate sacrifice who after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 10, 10, 12. He rested after performing the ultimate sacrifice. He sat down, he rested, he ceased from his labor because there was nothing more to be done, ever. Because of what he did, we no longer have to labor in order to be justified in his sight, to be approved before God or before others. Jesus was sent that we might find rest in him and what he has provided. And it's, I mean, after three chapters of this author telling the Jewish audience that Jesus is superior to the angels, he is our apostle, he is the high priest, the writer then begs the readers, he says, don't make the same mistake your ancestors did by rejecting God's rest that's not found in a land, but in a person now, in the Messiah. This this warning to the Jews is key because it's a warning for us, too. That you don't simply experience God's rest or find his rest because your your heart's been stirred this morning or because you heard a a great podcast on rest. That's that's not how we're going to really be able to find rest. The Jews had heard the gospel when you look at verse 2, they, they, they had heard the gospel preached to them just as the, the, the post-Exodus Israelites did, and it says the messages were of no value because they had heard and did not combine it with faith. They didn't combine it with faith. They thought they still needed to labor. They thought they still needed to work for it. And we do too. We do too. We think we still need to labor, but it's faith that it's required. It's faith. It's that deepening trust in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us and his promises for us. So, all right, let me get out of the clouds. I want to talk about what does this look like practically for us. What does this look like practically? First, I think it's understanding our total inability to enter God's rest on our own. We have restless hearts, and we are prone to wander. So we need to, we need to identify the spaces in our life where there is that work beneath the work that we're talking about that makes us restless. And we identify them, confess them to Jesus, acknowledge that the work is finished. 
I don't need to do this anymore. The work is finished. Praise God that he's given us everything we need. And I love what the author says in verse 11. He says, still strive to enter this rest because um, though we, we rest from our self-efforts to earn our salvation or to prove ourselves and satisfy those rest, we still need to strive. We still need to strive by like purposefully putting ourselves in that space, choosing to depend on him, trust in him, and, and really about yielding our own self-will yielding it and putting it in his. That's how we're going to find rest. There's no other Sabbath rest besides Jesus. It's in Jesus. He alone satisfies the requirements of the law. He alone provides the sacrifice for sin. He alone is God's plan for us to cease from the labor of our own works. So back to the quote, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I want to end with this because there are, t- there are times in my life when I hear those voices of condemnation in my brain and in my heart that I'm not good enough. And I think the one thing I try to do is I combat it by saying, you know what, it is well with my soul. It is well. As God worked each day of creation and ended by saying, it is good. It's good. And after the work he has now accomplished on the cross for us, we can now, by faith, look to him and at our souls and say, it is good. We don't have to labor anymore. The work is finished. I have nothing left to prove. It is well with my soul. Pray with me, guys. Jesus, thank you that the promise still stands. Thank you that the rest... um, by your grace is not simply a rest of, of comfort, a rest that actually we really want, but we need something better. And we know it's found in you, and it's that soul rest. It's that salvation kind of rest that affects everything about us, Lord, and it stops this, the, the striving, the, the, cease, the ceases the labor, the work beneath the work because of your work, because of what you've done for us. So, Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the praise and glory. Pray that we would be a people who are marked by deep spiritual rest that affects everything about us and how we interact with the world and the people around us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.